Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of violence, incest, rape, and human sacrifice. Seacottle's sexual assault of his sister is in particular a disturbing story, rooted in the misogyny of ancient times. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining. We relied primarily on the Toltec version of the myth, supplementing it with additional research from other Mesoamerican cultures. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. It was winter, yet the sun blazed in the sky. Sweat poured from Seacottle's brow to his tear-streaked face as he trudged across the parched earth. Not long ago, this land was green and fertile. It provided everything his people needed to thrive. Now the corn had rotted and fallen away. The once rich soil had turned to dust and it was all his fault. Seacatl Topiltzin was the priest king of Tula, the capital city of the Toltec Empire. Years ago, his kingdom had been one of the most beautiful and cultured places in the world. But then, in his pride, Seacatl had offended Tlaloc, god of rain and agriculture. Now his people's only hope was for the priest king to journey to Tlaloc's temple and beg the deity's forgiveness. Prepare the sanctuary. Seacatl spoke briefly to the temple attendant and then knelt before the altar. He prayed to the rain god, begging him to take pity on his people. Please, Tlaloc, I know I failed you, but do not punish the people for my sins. Make me suffer, but let them live, I beseech you. Seacatl continued his invocations for four days, but there was no answer. Eventually, he gave up and returned to his palace in the ruined city of Tula. Days passed with no sign of hope for Seacatl or his people. But then, one morning, a Toltec citizen arrived at the palace. The man trembled in fear as he addressed his king. My lord, I had a vision from the god Tlaloc. He said that he has heard your majesty's prayers. This is glorious news. The kingdom is saved. But my lord, there's more. Tlaloc said he will grant your request, but he requires something in exchange. Something terrible. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. 
Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. Today, we're exploring the Mesoamerican deity, Quetzalcoatl. Known as the Feathered Serpent, Quetzalcoatl has been worshipped in various forms by cultures throughout the region that is now Mexico. The Toltec Empire dominated Mesoamerica from around 900 to 1168 CE. It was home to a large number of skilled artisans, such as potters and metalworkers. The capital city, Tula, boasted luxurious palaces lined with gold and precious stones. Many Mesoamericans believed these advancements were due to the beneficent reign of Quetzalcoatl, a priest and king who supposedly reigned in the early days of the empire. According to legend, Quetzalcoatl was a demigod born of a human mother and the cloud serpent deity, Mishkoatl. His mother died in childbirth, leaving the baby, who was known at that time as Seacotl, an orphan. Her companions reacted by trying to drown Seacotl in the river. In many Mesoamerican cultures, being an orphan was a fate worse than death, and the Toltecs seemed to have been no exception. Children without parents often lived in extreme poverty. Some were forced into slavery. So the women's attempt to drown Seacotl in this story was not an act of cruelty, but instead a gesture of mercy. And what happened next was nothing short of a miracle. Instead of sinking to the bottom of the river, Seacotl floated among the reeds. A passerby discovered him there, fished him out of the water, and took the baby to his human grandparents, who raised him to be a priest of Tlaloc. Saakadl grew up strong and faithful, with obvious divine gifts. He had power over animals and insects and could call upon them to do his bidding. Using this ability, he outwitted a group of malicious rulers in his youth. After that, the Toltec people asked him to become their king. Initially, Seacotl was an outstanding ruler. Unlike more warlike Toltec kings, he promoted culture and universal well-being. This suggests that the Toltecs' priorities changed during Seacotl's early reign. Defense and conquest were less important during this period than development and stability. But as the priest king reigned over his thriving dominion, trouble brewed in the heavens. The Toltec's good fortune was about to change. Seacotl had a half-brother on his divine father's side, a god named Tezcatlipoca. Tezcatlipoca was the lord of change through conflict. 
He'd been watching Seacadl develop his kingdom, and he hated what he saw. There he sits, pathetic little mortal, puffing himself up with feathers, adorning himself with jade. How dare he call himself a ruler? I am a god. If either of us deserves a kingdom, it is I. Season after season, the Toltecs carried on, blissfully unaware of the gods' growing rage. Meanwhile, Tezcatlipoca simmered over his mortal sibling's success until he could stand it no longer. One spring night, he wove a rope of spiderwebs so long it reached from the heavens all the way down to earth. As the silken threads became damp with dew, the god transformed himself into a jaguar and slid down the rope into Seacotl's kingdom. Tezcatlipoca landed in a jungle. He slunk among the dense foliage until he came upon a village in a clearing. There he settled into the crook of a tree and waited for the dawn. When day broke, Tezcatlipoca observed two twin brothers playing with a rubber ball. He recognized them as mortal offspring of the rain god Tlaloc. This gave him an idea. Changing himself into the form of an old man, he approached the young athletes. Good morning, warriors. I couldn't help but notice how skillfully you play. You must be the greatest in the land. The god's flattery pleased the brothers, but they were faithful to their priest-king, Seacadl, so they insisted that he was in fact the best ball player in the land. Tezcatlipoca laughed at this. <laughs> it's not whether you win or lose, you know. It's how you play the game. If you like, I can show you a way that will do you both honor. This time, the two brothers were convinced by the change god's words. They agreed to do whatever he told them. Obeying his instructions, they sent a message to Seacadl, challenging him to a game with the rubber ball. The Toltec ball game was similar to modern basketball. It was played on a court with a small vertical hoop at each end. The object was to get a rubber ball through the rings. However, there were a couple of key differences between the Ancients game and the modern day sport. For one thing, players in Toltec times were not allowed to use their hands. This meant they had to get the ball through the hoop by hitting it with their elbows, knees, or heads. Additionally, in most Mesoamerican societies, the competition was more than a game. The outcome of a match was often considered to have religious implications. In Seacadl's case, the fact that he was playing against a god's offspring suggests that the contest was a spiritual challenge. Unfortunately, the priest king didn't see it coming. The Toltecs were thrilled to have an opportunity to see their priest king play, and Seacadl did not disappoint them. The morning of the contest, he stepped onto the court wearing a magnificent feathered headdress, his body painted like a serpent. Welcome, my people. I am honored to perform before you today, but where are my challengers? Let them come forward. The brothers emerged onto the court. Following Tezcatlipoca's instructions, 
They didn't tell the priest king that they too were sons of a god. Instead, they presented themselves as princes from another kingdom. Very well then, we must make a bet. If you win, I shall give you all my precious stones and most beautiful feathers. And if I win, you shall offer me the same. The brothers agreed to Seacatl's terms, and with that, the game began. It was a hard-fought match, but despite his headdress, which inhibited his ability to headbutt the ball, Seacatl emerged victorious. Afterward, gleaming with sweat and grinning with pride, he called the brothers before the crowd and demanded his prize. Just as Tezcatlipoca had instructed, the first brother reached into his pack and drew out a handful of corn kernels. He presented them to Seacatl, saying that these were his precious stones. The priest king scoffed and struck the boy's hand, scattering the kernels across the court. The crowd gasped, but Seacatl merely drew himself up proudly and demanded the feathers he had been promised. In response, the second brother reached into his pack and drew out several fresh green leaves. How dare you insult me? We made a deal. The winner was to be given beautiful feathers and precious stones, not leaves and corn. These things are worthless. Once again, Seacatl struck the gift away, but the brothers did not look offended. Instead, they gathered up the corn and leaves and put them back into their packs. Then they revealed their true identity as sons of Tlaloc, the god of agriculture. And they delivered a message, just as Tezcatlipoca had taught them. Since the rain god's gifts have no value, they will be taken from you and your people forever. With that, the brothers left the court and began to serve Tezcatlipoca. From that moment forward, not a drop of rain fell in Seacatl's dominion. The priest king watched from the palace as his fields turned from green to brown. He listened as the laughter of his people changed to cries of despair. The only thing worse than seeing his kingdom's destruction was knowing that it was his fault. At last, Seacatl's pride crumbled. As the merciless sun rose over the dusty fields, he journeyed to the temple of the one he had offended, the rain god, Tlaloc. And there, he repented for offending the deity. Please, I know I failed you, but do not destroy the people for this. Seacatl prayed for four days. At first, there was no response, but a few days later, a Toltec citizen arrived at the palace, saying his prayers had been heard. Oh, this is glorious news! The kingdom is saved! But, my lord, there's more. Tlaloc said he will grant your request, but he requires something in exchange. Something terrible. I don't understand. I repented. What more does the rain god desire? He demands the flesh of a virgin. 
Human sacrifice was practiced by multiple societies at various times throughout Mesoamerican history. However, according to legend, it was not yet part of Toltec culture during Seacotl's early reign. Seacotl was horrified by the very idea of it. He believed killing humans to appease the gods was unconscionable and was convinced it would destroy his kingdom. So he instructed his visitor to forget about the vision and made him promise to tell no one. What Seacotl didn't realize was that even his refusal was part of his half-brother's devious plan. Tezcatlipoca knew Seacotl would never agree to the sacrifice. He had suggested that Tlaloc ask for it so that when Seacotl refused, he could take over in his brother's place. Now that the priest king had denied the god's wishes, Tezcatlipoca put the second phase of his plan into effect. He traveled around the city, transforming himself into various figures and telling people that Tlaloc had promised to send rain. All they had to do was offer the blood of a virgin in exchange. Eventually, Tezcatlipoca garnered enough support to proceed to the next part of his plan. He convinced some of his newfound followers to abduct the daughter from a rival king and bring her back to Tula. There, he sacrificed her as an offering to Tlaloc. As the young woman's blood ran down from the altar, clouds gathered overhead. And just as Tezcatlipoca had predicted, it began to rain. Prosperity returned to the Toltec Empire. As a result, many people turned away from Seacotl and treated his half-brother as their leader instead. For the first time, Tezcatlipoca experienced what it was like to be king, and he loved every minute of it. However, Tezcatlipoca still had a problem. His half-brother continued sitting on the throne, and as long as the priest king remained in Tula, some people would persist in following him. With that annoying thought in mind, Tezcatlipoca began devising a scheme to take over the kingdom for good. Meanwhile, Seacotl spent his days in passionate prayer. He was so devastated by news of the sacrifice that he barely ate or slept. He believed that his people had endangered their very souls by killing the young woman. By purging himself, he hoped to find a way to save them. Then one day, after many months of prayer, Seacotl heard someone approaching. He looked up and saw a wizened old man carrying a mirror. What can I do for you, honored elder? I have something to show you, a picture of yourself. At the old man's urging, Seacotl looked into the mirror, and to his shock, he didn't see his own image. Instead, he saw the bloody corpse of a dead rabbit. Oh, gods! Can this be true? The mirror shows what it sees, my lord, but there are many different truths. If you come with me, I can show you how to shape your own. Seacotl was shocked by the image in the mirror, and he was eager to erase it from his memory. So he got up and followed the old man. 
he had no idea that the elder was actually his half-brother, Tezcatlipoca, or that the god was luring him into a trap. Coming up, a drunken mistake forces the priest king into exile. Now, back to the story. After permitting human sacrifice to appease the rain god Tlaloc, King Seacatl fell into despair. His prayers for redemption went unanswered. But then one day, his half-brother Tezcatlipoca appeared as an old man and told the priest king to follow him. Tezcatlipoca took his brother to a temple where an attendant was waiting. The attendant painted Seacatl's face with red and yellow and wove beautiful feathers into his hair. He gave the king a green mask to wear over his eyes and dressed him in a tunic of rich fabric. When he was done, Tezcatlipoca showed Seacatl his reflection once again. Thank the gods! I look like a king again! Seacatl was so pleased with his appearance that he called for a celebration. A group of men joined him in the temple. They brought rich food and sweet nectar, which they encouraged the king to drink. Thank you, my friends, but I cannot accept. I am a priest. I'm not used to indulgences of the flesh. Even a sip of wine could make me weak. Don't worry, my lord. It is not wine they offer you, but medicine. It will help you reclaim your divine power. Seacatl still didn't realize that the old man with the mirror was his scheming half-brother. So at his urging, he took a drink of the nectar. Then he took one more and another. This so-called medicine was in fact mezcal, an alcoholic spirit made from the agave plant. After a number of libations, the priest king got extremely drunk. He began calling for his servants and other members of his household to join him. This included his half-sister, Quetzalpetatl, a priestess who had been born some years before him. Where is Quetzalpetatl? Someone, bring me my sister! All was proceeding according to the change god's plan. Tezcatlipoca took on the form of a priestess and entered the temple where the celibate priestess, Quetzalpetatl, was deep in prayer. He breathed over her, causing her to fall asleep. Then he had his followers carry her back to Seacatl. There you are, Quetzalpetatl. So beautiful. Come, have a drink with me. Sister, why doesn't she answer? She is frightened, my lord, overwhelmed by your magnificence. Don't be afraid, my beautiful sister. Seacatl was so overcome by the power of Mezcal that he forgot himself and his priestly vow of chastity. Overcome with desire, he raped his sleeping sister, then fell unconscious. The next morning, Seacatl and Quetzalpetatl awoke. They were both horrified by what had happened. The news of what the priest king had done was already spreading through the city. 
Tez Catlipoca watched in triumph as his half-brother's followers rose up in anger against him. They demanded that Seacatl leave the city and asked Tez Catlipoca to rule them instead, just as the god had always wanted. With a heavy heart, Seacatl gathered his last few remaining followers and abandoned the city of Tula. He was convinced that the Toltecs were headed for disaster, but he didn't know how to save them. So he simply started walking in hopes of acquiring the wisdom he needed along the way. Seacatl's journey took him and his followers through the fields, across streams and rivers, and into the foothills. At last, they reached a crossroads. One path lay over the plains, the other climbed to the peak of the shadowy mountains. When Seacatl announced his intention to take the harder path, his followers erupted into an argument. They were sick and tired of walking without a destination. If they must carry on, why not take the easy path? One young man, however, a warrior prince named Timal, jumped to his lord's defense. This journey was never meant to be easy. Our lord seeks knowledge and understanding. Do you think those things come without sacrifice? I, for one, have always dreamed of finding the country of wisdom. I would cross rivers, mountains, even oceans to find it by my master's side. Seacatl was moved by Timal's speech. The others were inspired as well. With renewed purpose, they climbed into the mountains, where they encountered many deadly challenges. Sometimes boulders cracked and fell onto the path. Other times, snow fell so heavily that they couldn't see more than a few inches ahead. By the time they reached the top, only the priest king, the warrior prince, and six others remained alive. But when they looked down from the peak, they were greeted by the sight of a glorious city in the valley below. This was the city of Cholula, a settlement founded by other Mesoamericans more than a thousand years before. It was now inhabited by Toltecs, and when Seacatl's people reached it, they learned that word of the priest king's adventures preceded him. Unlike the Tulans, the Cholulans were eager to welcome Seacatl. They begged the priest king to preach to them. At first, he was reluctant, but his recent struggles had taught him much about the nature of the world, and soon his beliefs poured out of him. The true Toltec is good and wise. He does not act without thinking. He is considerate and kind. He uses his power to create, not to destroy. He makes the broken whole again. The Cholulans received his message with gladness and began to practice his teachings. As a result, their city prospered, just as Tula had years before. The loyal followers who had come with Seacatl on his journey became honored lords. And after years of disgrace, Seacatl became a respected leader again. The priest and his followers spent almost 10 years in Cholula. During that time, Seacatl was cautious not to fall prey to any vices. 
He spent most of his time in prayer, meditating on ways that he might help the people of his former city, Tula. One day, Seacatl knelt praying in the wilderness until the sun set and night covered the land. He drifted off to sleep, experiencing a dream so vivid that it felt like a divine vision. In the dream, Seacatl saw a necklace of indescribable beauty spinning in a void. The links were made of grains of corn. As he gazed at it in wonder, the necklace suddenly broke apart and the kernels scattered. He woke terrified, his face covered in sweat. After his experience in the ball game years ago, Seacatl was powerfully moved by the image of corn. He believed the dream was a sign from the gods that the Toltec Empire was about to be destroyed, its people scattered across the earth. As he grappled with the power of this vision, the loyal warrior prince Timal came to his side. My lord, what is wrong? It is all going to end. I do not understand. What is going to end? The Toltec Empire is going to be destroyed. <gasps> Dear gods, how do we stop it? Seacatl didn't know, but he was more devoted than ever to the salvation of his people. For days, he meditated on the vision, asking the gods to show him the way to save his people. At last, he landed upon an answer. Timal, gather my followers. I have to speak with them. Seacatl stood before his people, who now numbered in the thousands. He spoke to them about the dream. He explained that the corn represented the Toltec people and the shattering necklace foretold their imminent destruction. His followers were alarmed, but Seacatl told them not to worry. He believed he knew a way to save them. Sadly, it would require that he leave the city. My lord, you cannot. The people of Cholula love you and practice your wisdom. If you want to save the Toltecs, stay here and tell us what to do. I am sorry, my friend. I have to go. But why? Why did the gods command? Maybe we could change their minds or find a way to help you. Despite his followers' entreaties, Seacatl couldn't bring himself to tell them what he planned to do. He merely repeated that he had to do it alone. The next morning, Seacatl rose with the sun and made his way out of the city. As he reached the gate, he found a crowd awaiting him. Timal was in the lead. I told you once that I would follow you wherever the path to wisdom led. I am not about to break that promise now. Seacatl was moved by the loyalty of his friends. So once again, he led a crowd out into the wilderness in hopes of finding a path to salvation. This time, they crossed through forests and jungles. They passed many villages whose inhabitants joined them as they went. Soon, their small band became a full caravan. At last, they reached the foot of a great volcano by the sea. Seacatl knew when he saw it that this was the place he'd been looking for. 
He told his followers to build a temple using wood from the surrounding forest. As they worked, he meditated alone. He prayed to the gods to show him mercy and guide him on his quest. Then, when the sun rose, Seacadal returned to his people. He saw that they had finished the temple and prepared it for an animal sacrifice. They had also made a beautiful robe and a mask for their priest to wear during the ceremony. Seacadal donned the new clothes. His robe shone like the plumes of an iridescent bird. His mask flickered like the jeweled eyes of a serpent. But despite his splendor, he could not hide his sadness. Timal saw the conflict in his master's eyes. Sensing something was wrong, he threw himself at Seacadal's feet. My lord, please do not do this. I am sorry, my friend. I must. Then take me with you. I cannot. But if you truly believe in the mercy of the gods, know that I will return. With one last embrace, master and follower separated. Seacadal climbed onto the temple's altar and raised his hands to the sky. Calling upon the gods for strength, he offered himself as a sacrifice in exchange for the lives of his people. Suddenly, lightning struck the temple. The wood beams burst into flame. Seacadal could hear his followers' cries of alarm, but in his heart, he knew this was the gods' answer to his prayer. As the searing conflagration rose all around him, he knelt on the floor of the temple and prepared to be burned alive. Coming up, Seacadal braves the underworld to fulfill his divine destiny. Now back to the story. After living as a priest among the people of Cholula for many years, Seacadal had a dream that made him realize the Toltec Empire was about to be destroyed. He determined that the only way to save humanity was to sacrifice himself. So Seacadal had his followers build a temple, and when lightning struck it, he let himself be burned alive. The fire blazed as hot as the sun. When it finally subsided, Seacadal's horrified followers searched frantically through the ashes. To their surprise, they found a supernatural ball of light at the center of the pyre. The glowing orb rose from the ashes and ascended into the sky, where it became the morning star. To Timal, this was a sign that his master would indeed return. Meanwhile, Seacadal awoke in a dark, desolate plain. Fleshless figures wandered by him in silence. The priest rose, shivering, and hailed one of the passing forms. Where am I? Do you not know this place? This is Mictlan. Mictlan. Seacadal shivered with dread at the name. He was in the underworld, the land ruled by a god and goddess who stood guard over the bones of the dead. 
During his meditation, Seacottle had discerned that the bones could be used to begin a new human race, but he had a long way to go. Where can I find the Lord and Lady of the Dead? They are far from here, and from what I have heard, they do not entertain mortals. I am more than a mortal. My father is the god Mishkoedal. Ah, indeed. Perhaps you should call on him for help. The fleshless figure turned away. Just as Seacottle was beginning to despair, he heard a low growl. He turned and saw an emaciated dog limping toward him. The creature's bones were visible beneath its fur. Its feet were turned backward. Where its eyes normally would be were two empty sockets. Seacottle stepped back from the dog in disgust. At first, it didn't seem to notice. It lumbered past him and continued on its way. But a short distance ahead, it stopped. It turned back toward him and barked. Then it continued on a few more steps, paused, and barked again. Seacottle realized the thing was trying to lead him somewhere. He wasn't sure about the idea of traipsing after a blind dog, but he had no better plan, so he reluctantly followed. Little did the priest realize that this dog would be his only companion for the next four years. Together, they descended through eight levels of the underworld. Seacottle faced many terrifying obstacles along the way. Once, he had to traverse a path made entirely of writhing snakes. Another time, he crossed a river of blood. Each time he encountered a challenge, he thought the dog had disappeared. But once he conquered each obstacle, he found the creature waiting on the other side. At last, after a seemingly endless journey, they reached the underworld kingdom of Meeked Lawn. The eyeless dog stopped at the gate. Clearly, Seacottle would have to go on alone. He entered a dark, windowless temple. Torches on the walls illuminated his path as he trod over an earthen floor. The floor was littered with bones. Insects and vermin crawled over them. Overhead, he could hear the buzzing of bees. Eventually, he emerged into a large, windowless chamber. There, he saw the Lady of the Dead, Meekteka Seawaddle, sitting on a throne that appeared to be constantly transforming. Beside the Lady sat her consort, Meektlan Tauktli. He was just as terrifying to look at, if not more so. He wore a headdress of owl feathers and a necklace of human eyes. Despite their fearsome appearance, Seacottle knelt before them. Lord and lady, I sacrificed myself in the land of the living so that I might come to ask your assistance. I wish to take back the bones over which you keep watch. Indeed. And what would you do with them, Seacottle? The Toltec Empire is about to be destroyed. The few who remain will be scattered and fall into despair. With these bones, 
I can create new life and give them hope for the future. What an admirable wish. We would like to grant you this favor, but first we need to see some proof of your devotion. March four times around our thrones, playing a note on this conch shell. Once you have done so, the bones will be yours. The Lady of the Dead gave Seacaudal a large horn-shaped shell. But as he looked at the shell, he realized that there were no holes in it. No matter how many times he walked around the thrones, blowing on it was not going to emit any sound. It was a trick, but Seacaudal did not lose hope. Remembering the divine powers over animals that he had used as a child, he called up the worms crawling among the bones. He placed a few in the shell and spoke to them until they had gnawed a hole large enough for air to pass through. Then he placed his lips against the shell. He tried to blow a note, but nothing came out. Dread filled him once again as he realized the second reason why he would not be able to fulfill the Lord and Lady's command. He was dead and therefore had no breath. The gods of the underworld laughed at Seacaudal's efforts, but the priest was still undeterred. Using his powers again, he called the bees from their hives and funneled them into the conch. The shell amplified their buzz like a trumpeting sound. Seacaudal marched around the gods' thrones in triumph. Very clever, Seacaudal. You have fulfilled the task, and therefore I must keep my word. You may take the bones, sadly. <laughs> The moment you do, the birds that surround us in the darkness will descend upon you. They will tear your flesh and pluck out your eyes. No, please forgive me. I had no idea the cost was so high. I will leave the bones in peace. Please, just let me go. The Lord and Lady of the Dead nodded. But as it turned out, this time, Seacaudal had a trick of his own. As he retreated from the temple, he scooped up some bones into a bundle and ran. How dare he betray us! Spiders, worms, beetles, birds! I call upon all of you to stop the traitor! He must not be allowed to leave our kingdom! The god's servants obeyed. They dug a pit for Seacaudal, and the priest stumbled into it in the darkness. The bones crunched and scattered beneath him. Birds attacked him from overhead. Seacaudal fought off his attackers, then attempted to gather up the bones, but he soon realized this was a futile gesture. They were shattered beyond repair. In agony, he called out to the gods in heaven. Help me, lords. I have journeyed four years in the underworld to save human life, but I have failed. Please, if I ever needed your assistance, the moment is now. This time, the gods took pity on Seacaudal. He was lifted from the pit, together with the shards of bone, into the heavens where many deities awaited him. Among them was the dog who had been his guide through the underworld. 
Thus, the priest realized he had just passed his final obstacle. The gods alone knew how to use the bones to renew the human race. First, they placed them in a mill and ground them into flour. Then, with their guidance, Seacadal cut his penis and bled into the dough. His canine companion molded the paste into human figures with his tongue, then gave them juices of fresh maize. As the priest looked on in wonder, the figures came to life. With the bones of their predecessors, the spirit of the gods, and the blood of a willing sacrifice, they became a new race of humanity. Then Seacadal felt himself transforming as well. His skin became smooth like scales. His hair became colorful plumes. At last, Seacadal was transfigured into the feathered serpent god, Quetzalcoatl. Suddenly, he felt himself falling. He plummeted from the heavens down to the earth in a glorious streak of light. When he awoke, he heard waves crashing and seagulls crying. He was on a beach. He went to a tide pool and looked at his reflection. There, he discovered that he had transformed once again. He now had the head and feet of an eagle, and he was cloaked in a robe made of serpents. Soon, Quetzalcoatl heard people approaching. He turned and saw that it was some of his old followers. They gazed at him in terror without recognition. Don't be afraid, my friends. I was once your priest, Sayakaro. I have now returned from the land of the dead, just as I said I would. The people were afraid and ran back to their camp. There, Timal overheard what they were saying and cried out with joy. He raced to the beach, where he found his old master and embraced him without fear. Seeing Timal with the feathered serpent god, the others too came to believe. They sat with him and listened as he shared the wisdom he had learned in the land of the dead. Value this life. Difficult times lie ahead, but a new day is coming when all of creation will live in joy and peace. Work toward that day. Then, having taught them all he could, Quetzalcoatl removed his robe of serpents. He threw it into the water, where it turned into a raft. He climbed aboard and looked up to the heavens as the waves carried him away from shore, until he vanished into the horizon. According to Toltec myth, the story of Quetzalcoatl's return spread across the country until it reached his old city of Tula, the people there were amazed and turned away from Tezcatlipoca to worship the feathered serpent god instead. As legend has it, this made the change god furious, and like a jealous lover, he decided that if he couldn't have the kingdom, no one would. He went to all the enemies of the Toltecs and convinced them to lay siege to the dominion. As a result, 
a great army descended upon the city and the heart of the Toltec Empire was destroyed. The factual reasons for the fall of the Toltecs have unfortunately been lost to history. We know the civilization dominated Mesoamerica from the 10th to the 12th century CE, but we don't know exactly how it fell apart or why. What we do know is that the city of Tula was violently destroyed around the mid-12th century, and its former residents, the Toltecs, were scattered throughout Mesoamerica. The myth of Quetzalcoatl gives these events cosmic significance. It also imbues what must have been a traumatic time with an element of hope. To those who believed, the story of the feathered serpent god showed that redemption was possible, even in horrific moments. Quetzalcoatl taught them that when all seems lost, hope still shines, bright as the morning star. And he was right. Toltec survivors eventually resettled near Chapultepec Lake in a region near what is now Mexico City. Their renowned culture profoundly influenced the later Aztecs, and despite the arrival of many more conquerors in the region over the next several hundred years, Quetzalcoatl remains a powerful symbol of renewal in Mexico to this day. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Quetzalcoatl, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Gospel of the Toltecs extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Megan Diane, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Mike Capozzi, Susanna Corrington, Joe Hernandez, and Harris Markson. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>